Welcome to Tech Talks, a podcast brought to you by 70 Agency. You're listening to Martina and Barbara. And here we are again back in the studio at 70 Agency in Stockholm. I'm Martina and I'm sitting here with my lovely friend and colleague Barbara. How are you, Barbara? Hi, Martina. I am great. How are you doing? I am wonderful. It's a sunny day for once. It's spring finally spring. Yeah. And today we also have with us Pad. Hey. Hey. How are you, Pad? Oh, I'm good. Uh, yeah, it's been a long day, but, uh, but I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. At least it's Thursday, so uh, close to closer to the weekend. But Pad. Uh, I mean, we obviously know a lot about you and we think you're a super exciting person, which is why we kind of brought you on to this podcast or dragged you in, depending on how you want to see it. But please, can you tell us a little bit about yourself or tell the audience a little bit about uh, yourself? Yeah, my name is Pat. I'm one of the founders of Seventy. Uh, I have a long background in analysis and uh uh, but today I most uh, work mostly as a, some sort of uh, advisor within branding and uh, the connection between branding and business strategy, uh, I think, is, is kind of where I do most of my work. Yeah, that's that's a very short summary for, for saying that you know a little bit about practically everything. Everything. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, that might be an exaggeration. I, I just tend to hide the things that I know nothing about, <laughs> like sports. That, that's <laughs> oh, the strategy. Hide what you don't and know. I'm clueless. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I guess uh, you won, uh, who uh, uh, studied uh, theoretical physics, uh, he has on occasion called me the geek of 17. Oh, so yeah. I guess... That's kind of uh, the, the, that's a little bit of my role as well. Yeah. I, I kind of enjoy technology of all kinds of sorts, and uh, uh, I do work a lot with technology clients. And I can talk to uh, people who uh, are talking fairly deep on a technical level. Mm. Uh, so, and I kind of enjoy understanding what is it they yeah. what is it they do, what have they created, how does it work, and all of those kinds of things. And then you can kind of uh, take that understanding and convert mm-hmm. it and try to explain it to a broader audience who yeah. may not be as technically interested, which is typical for, for a lot of tech products. Mm-hmm. Uh, Definitely. I mean, I think you are our go-to guy when it comes to anything about, about cloud or edge or telco in general or whatever. Anything, ac- anything yeah, actually. Any larger technology trends. I think that's when we... Get you into a conference room and just try to pick your brain. And since today we wanted to talk about sort of conditions and requirements for the metaverse and mm. what is some of the underlying tech um, that can support the metaverse. So we felt the perfect person to bring in yeah. is Per. Um, but Maybe we want to start with what is your metaverse definition? Oh, that's a hard question because I think the, to me the metaverse is something that has existed in my head since like the eighties. Because I mean, I read books, mm. uh, sci-fi books like uh, Neuromancer, 
that painted a picture of a cyberspace. It was really difficult to get any kind of internet access until maybe 93, 94, something like that. But so, so all you could do was kind of create images in your head and, and you couldn't talk to anyone who had actually seen things and stuff like that. So, I mean, you had to use more of your imagination. Is there an existing experience or a platform that you would say is impressive for what's available and achievable today? And sort of what kind of tech makes it achievable right now? I think it's fragmented for now. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it's like some of the pieces are there. Some of the pieces are definitely missing as well. Uh, but some of the pieces are there. Uh, I mean, kind of check out Unreal 5 engine. Mm -hmm. uh, there you see what may be possible. But for now, in, in a sort of isolated gaming space, typically more one-on-one, -on -one, but it's definitely sort of moved the needle and moved things forward quite a lot because it's sort of, if you want to create a synthetic environment, it needs to, to be kind of detailed to feel real. I, I think there's a lack of hardware. We don't really have any good controls for anything. I, I think haptic, even VR... Sort of haptic. Yeah, gloves or yeah, suit. yeah. I've tried them, uh, but uh, but it's ah uh, uh, okay. <laughs> so so it's more like an interesting experiment. But I think mm. I I mean even even VR controls are still a little bit clunky. You, you Doesn't don't, feel very natural actually. No, exactly. And I, and I think that will take some time because mm. I think the technology is much easier to get in place than to mm. get the human feeling uh, into place. Uh, and I think that's where we need to kind of innovate around how do you actually interact with things. I mean, we wave our hands and we do things like that. We look at each other's eyes and mm. all of those things are very human things, but they're kind of complicated to solve technology wise. Yes. And I think actually I've been listening to one of the podcasts. Uh, I think it was Lex Friedman with Mark Zuckerberg. Mm -hmm. And Mark was explaining that how hard it's actually to recreate that sort of social experience because just the feeling of yourself in a virtual space is very difficult because we all have different length of sort of our arms from body or faces. So that he said it's very difficult to replicate or to mm -hmm. modify by yourself then yes, looking at each other uh, with our yeah. eyes virtually. Yeah, feeling like, that you get a connection with yes, your eyes. Yes, right? exactly. I love one of the Metaverse demo films from a company, I guess we shouldn't mention, <laughs> where, where they say, oh, your avatar looks so nice and you see the dead eyes staring <laughs> out into space. And it's like, I don't know whose social situations yeah. this has been modeled on, but... I guess they are dead serious about the Metaverse. <laughs> No, uh, no, but I, th I think uh, that's a great point. And I think there are sort of some improvements that, uh, that kind of need to fall into place. Mm -hmm. I think now, if we look at drones, uh, like uh, five years ago, uh, a lot has happened in five years. And, and now drones are coming into sort of becoming, they're becoming mature mm -hmm. and, and becoming very useful and very powerful and very small. And, and they can still do a lot of stuff. But I think we're kind of still on the first mm. first or second iteration, however you want to label it, when it comes to AR and VR. Mm. 
Uh, a lot of things have been learned, but those learnings have not yet had time to be implemented in, in a new generation of AR VR products. Either, even though we have some laying around, I, I mm. think that's kind of a half step. Uh, but can I just ask you, so for drones, weren't they initially being developed and built for, for other use cases than just, you know, uh, for consumers? Or as far as I know, mm. maybe for for warfare or for uh, for industrial purposes and so on. And when those use cases and those drones then were quite advanced, that's when they started moving into making them smaller and making them more uh, commercial, so to speak, yeah. for just uh, for daily use cases. Yeah. And AI and VR has gone the other way, hasn't it? We are starting with games, we are starting with daily health or uh, fitness apps and stuff like that. And then we are moving that into more of an enterprise. No, but if, or I mean, if you Where want to have something that is really good, yeah. uh, you uh, it, prices are around somewhere around $8,000 or something yeah. like that. Mm. And it's typically the kind of price level that companies can, can afford, afford. But, but very few mm. consumers will buy it. And most technology starts out being expensive mm. and crappy. Mm. Uh, but uh, but if it has a military use or an industrial yeah, use yeah. or things like that, people will invest in it anyway. And then it becomes better. It kind of mm. matures. You find the solutions. And, and then down. you can kind of start making them smaller and, and using them for other things. Prices mm. tend mm. to fall. Exactly. Uh, yeah. and, and then you can kind of move into consumer space. There are sort of consumer level devices in mm. in AR and VR, mm. but uh, but uh, I don't think they're. I mean, they're not super mature. Yeah, uh, but don't you think that that's where it started in the consumer space initially? It, yeah, it's now yeah. Ju- and then now it's moving into mm. more yeah. of an industrial mm. enterprise space. Where, yeah. Whereas drones had the opposite development. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Maybe that's why right. also we are so yeah. slow in yeah. in advancing uh, the the functionality and the quality of. But you're right because I think initially yeah. VR and AR got so much uh, attention on a consumer base, and then I think what happened is that you know we were seeing a lot of these demo videos, which yeah. were often mm-hmm. rendered videos or three D made videos that were not really showing the actual reality of what your experience through yeah, a device yeah, yeah. would be. Mm-hmm. And I guess the problem of that is that we don't have that underlying infrastructure that is able to support some of the heavier experiences. Mm-hmm. Then what happened is that it became a lot more, it got a bigger adoption in enterprises mm-hmm. because okay. there you can create an experience that is controlled in a certain environment. Yeah. The experience is preloaded to a device, which means that it's not lagging often, which means you can also create a much heavier experience. Mm. Um, and then, I mean, it got adopted by many, many big corporations, especially VR and a- I mean, both VR and AR in, oh, yeah. you know, training in, uh, I think that's the biggest use case, actually. Whereas I think that's the problem then in to get it back to a consumer. What is that underlying infrastructure? that we need to get in order for the everyday user like me or Martina are able to use it 
pick up a glasses and yeah yeah i think one thing that kind of limits it for now it's an antisocial experience it's a tethered experience because you you have a Uh, I mean, the latest iteration uh, of uh, headsets and things like that have have sort of tried to get rid of the cables, but it's mm. it's not super easy to do that because uh, either either you get a richer experience, but then you need a cable, or you get a little bit of a reduced experience, or sometimes significantly reduced experience, but then you're cable free. And I think mm. the cable three free thing is is one of those things that it is going to in the end be really important mm. because I, I it's cumbersome it's, it's uh, very cumbersome but i think we are none of us is sort of ready to change that because we still want to have rich high quality experiences yeah. and i think that's something we are not as consumers not willing to compensate on yeah i mean if you just think about If if the page or something you're looking on your phone takes longer than a few seconds to load, <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, like, what yeah. is what what is this? We are in 2022 and the internet is still slow. I mean, it's you're you just going to leave the you're page. You're just going to leave yeah. the page. And I think in some ways, consumer markets today are more demanding mm. than, than commercial uh, or sort of business to business yeah. markets uh, because I think you can get away uh, like. If it's a useful tool for teaching pilots how to land in an mm. emergency, it doesn't matter if it's lifelike. But a consumer will put it on and say no. <laughs> but it, it once you kind of start getting a consumer market going, that's when prices tend to go down. Mm. Mm-hmm. Look at 3D printers. When uh, like in the beginning of the uh, the 2000s, a 3D printer. Even a bad one was like six thousand dollars or something like that. Now you can actually buy uh, if you're willing to put in the work. You can and tweak it. Uh, mm. You can buy a decent printer for for like three hundred dollars. And you have and and the print three hundred dollar printer mm. today is so much better than the six thousand dollar printer was in its time. Yeah. So because now you have specialized circuits because. As soon as something becomes a consumer market and a, and, and a sort of volume market, prices fall oh, so quickly, and uh, and it becomes profitable to develop specific things uh, mm. like chipsets or mm-hmm. or stuff like that, uh, and that's really when you get the ball rolling. And then uh, then if you get a big volume enough, like if you look at uh, smartphones and stuff like that, components become crazy cheap, mm. and you can build whatever you want with them. But uh, but we are kind of far from that point right now. I mean, my question is though around Apple, for example, mm. you know, we've been hearing so much from Apple yeah. having their AR device planned to launch. Well, every year, every, every time we go near September, when Apple usually has the releases, <laughs> there's rumors they will launch the device now, but it hasn't happened. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is that We spend so much money on smartphones and, you know, when the smartphones first came out for us spending, I don't know, a thousand dollars was a huge cost. Not everyone is fortunate enough to be able to spend so much, but a lot of people are able to afford a device every three, two, three years and they spend a thousand dollars on it. Do you think once Apple releases their headset, it is rumored that the price will be quite high that an AR headset will become 
such an accessory as a mobile devices where you will see a price of price tag of maybe a thousand five hundred dollars and say yes i will spend that much money because it's become a necessity for me to own a headset yeah i mean isn't that a question of functionality i mean in the very beginning when uh, when even smartphones were cheaper than they are now they still had very limited services and functions mm. in comparison to what they do today today mm. you practically you use it for any daily activities that you engage in and so if that's going to be the case for an AR device that all of a sudden you act, you use it for multiple purposes yeah. throughout your day then i guess you wouldn't blink an eye to to pay a higher price for that as well no no, I, mean, I think you're completely on point there, Martina, because I think it's about the utility value. Mm. And I mean, it's not like we make many calls on our phones. No. Uh, no. <laughs> I would say that we rather avoid them. Yes. <laughs> it's like, uh, like in place number 30 about of features uh, mm. around your smartphone. It's like, oh, and you can make calls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's kind of interesting that we even call it a phone because we don't really use it for that. Yeah, but, no, that's so true. So it's a, more of a camera and a computer rather, yeah. than a, rather, rather than a phone. Yeah. But if we go back to sort of the underlying tech, what are some some of the components that are making immersive experiences possible today or metaverse possible today? Um, also, who is building the metaverse today? I can jump straight to the second question. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you uh, for listening to this podcast. <laughs> we were happy to have you today. It seems like a lot of hot air. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm looking forward to see anyone launching anything. But for now, it, it just feels like a buzzword, mm. largely. Uh, I, I, uh, when it comes to sort of... Where do I think it needs to go a little bit or, or what are the enabling technologies? I think we're kind of locked in the technology space we're mm. at for the moment. Mm. That's always kind of the short term thing. So, mm. so it would be kind of computer based and 2D screens mm. and, and uh, uh, audio. I think everybody, more or less everybody has gotten better headphones in the last five years or mm. so. And uh, mm. so I think that's a dimension where we can start working and, and mm. sort of uh, making it uh, uh, more immersive. I talked to a guy who had had a meeting in some sort of metaverse setup, and he said one of the most practical things was that you could actually move three meters to the side and talk to somebody while you were in a Zoom-like mm. meeting. Mm. And, and uh, because it enabled communication in the way that humans actually communicate. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that that's kind of, if, if we need to change our habits mm. to suit the technology, then mm. we're not there. No. Yeah. Uh, no. But it's when technology enable us, enables us to, to just do what we do naturally, kind of. And I think some really critical steps there just to make it, feel more metaverse or whatever we call Seamless. it, is, is sort of just having a little bit more lifelike people. Mm. Uh, and I think 
with a new generation of game engines and things mm-hmm. like that, I, I think that may actually be possible. I mean, it keeps improving year over year. Same hardware, but year over year it gets better. But then I think sort of uh, like uh, eye tracking so we mm-hmm. can look at each other. Uh, it's one of those very human things that is a little bit te- technically complicated to accomplish, but that adds quite a lot of value as and same thing, mapping facial expressions. So you actually, so you're looking at something that looks human uh, mm-hmm. because uh, people's faces keep changing the whole time, and you can can kind of read them. But uh, but if you're looking at a dead face, you're 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 always gonna sort of uh, have a barrier between. Uh, uh, and then it's actually easier to do mm-hmm. video conference in mm-hmm. many ways because then at least you see somebody's face. So, so I think sort of getting a little bit more into the, getting those human qualities mm. a little bit better into some sort of 3D environment, AR, VR or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I think that those are going to be quite sort of crucial steps to, mm. to uh, yeah, get an immersive experience and, and kind of trick your mind that you're actually somewhere else. Mm. And I think when we talk about that, I feel like we are talking about like the the top layer or the the layer that is closest to the consumer, so to speak. Yeah, you know, like how are you going to experience the metaverse? But now, when we've just been talking about AR and VR and how avatars are supposed to be, look, what they are supposed to look like, I feel like those are challenges for hardware and. Uh, for hardware providers and for for game developers. But then again, we're obviously going to have far more devices connected to the 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 networks. That means also we're going to require far more energy and far more computing capacity. What kind of layers do we, apart from like that top layer where we know we need to develop the experience of the metaverse, what other underlying layers do we think we need to start working on? Yeah, I mean, everything is a stack. Mm-hmm. There's like something happens in a silicon circuit somewhere mm. and then you have various layers of software to mm. enable whatever we see or hear or things like that. But uh, I, I mean, if uh, I think if we want to bring the metaverse out of a locked-in experience in your living room, then, mm. then we probably have to get rid of the cables. We have to have devices that can... Like uh, where the battery lasts more than 20 minutes. Uh, And uh, uh, be able to move around much more freely because otherwise we we might as well be sitting in front of a video conference. And I think that's where we get into sort of, yeah, uh, we need a network to do that. And also sort of when when we want to bring AR, VR experiences from an individual experience to a social experience, that will also require some uh, some uh, sort of network setup mm-hmm. that, that, that enables it. And, uh, and I think sort of looking at, at the technologies that are being explored in that space, uh, there's a lot of discussions around edge computing. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and in this case, uh, to be specific, it's like mobile edge computing, mm-hmm. not device edge. It, it's not about building more powerful headsets, yeah. but rather moving the heavy lifting from the device into uh, into the network itself. Mm-hmm. The network, uh, kind of like, 
cloud gaming. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, you can play at a very high resolution, even though your computer is kind of crappy because everything is just being streamed to your In computer. The, the, the actual rendering happens somewhere in the network. And, yeah. I, and I think that's something that I, I know that's something that, uh, that is being explored still sort of at an early stage. And what will the uh, uh, topology of uh, distributed cloud mm. infrastructure look like? Like where is the where is the calculation actually going to happen and mm. what happens where and things like that. But I think those technologies are really important to actually pushing yeah. pushing us towards mm. something that is that is more than souped up gaming. Yeah. Uh, and how far are we in the development of edge computing? I mean, there are already tests up and running, yeah. but uh, but it's more about scaling it and, mm-hmm. and where to scale it and how to scale it and uh, uh, and who is going to own it and who will be the invest uh, mm-hmm. who will be investing in, in the infrastructure and things. What like do that. you require to scale it? Uh, I, it, it's a little bit stuck in limbo. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good question, uh, Barbara. The million-dollar question. Uh, what it requires to scale is well-working use cases. Yeah. <laughs> but if we don't have any well-working use cases, uh, well, it's sort of if we don't have the infrastructure, it's not worth developing a new generation of hardware that depends on mm. it because it's only going to be useful in, in certain locations anyway. Yeah. So maybe we need some sort of step in between. But I think what, what we really need is something that uh, that attracts people and that people are willing to pay for. Mm. And that may not be sort of uh, the metaverse where it kicks off, mm-hmm. but there, there are other uses. Like... You always start with the ones who have the big money. There are some very good use <laughs> yeah. cases yeah. Uh, for businesses yep. where where edge computing can kind of like if you can open uh, open a store mm-hmm. anywhere yeah. Yeah. Uh, without the requirements of infrastructure, but it's still as secure as if you had on-prem IT mm-hmm. and all of those things. That's something that would be beneficial to a lot of companies, but it would also require extending edge infrastructure mm. at least to some locations but mm. it tends to be the mm-hmm. same locations where there are a lot of people and so that makes it a little bit more, more possible to perhaps create a, a wireless AR VR headset because I think the key points of, of being able to offload things to the network is battery life mm-hmm. uh, all you have to do is display information and that doesn't require much processing power compared to mm-hmm. sort of crunching the 3D things and what am I seeing now and uh, what should the view be like and and, uh, and uh, today you, you yeah like you need a gaming computer to get mm-hmm. any decent kind of experience when it when it comes to 3D but if you can do that in the network then then you have much greater chances of actually creating an immersive experience and if it's a network thing, then you can also make it social much more easily and, and things like that. So I, I think the, the metaverse issue may be a little bit stuck mm-hmm. uh, on an infrastructure level, but maybe we need some sort of uh, like in between, maybe a wireless headset that you can use in mm-hmm. your living room. Mm-hmm. So at least you can walk around and it scans your facial expressions and, and tracks your eyes and all of that stuff. 
But so it's maybe it starts off more on a on a one to one level mm. uh, using uh, like uh, fiber networks that mm. people already have in their homes or in mm. their offices or something like that. But I think over time it kind of needs to move over to to uh, wide area networks yeah. such as mobile networks. So is it then that building the metaverse won't be really locked or being put on one company only, but rather an effort of many companies yeah. or many players. Uh, Who do we see in that ecosystem? Yeah, there are probably lots of companies in that. But <laughs> yeah. No, but kind of hardware manufacturers. Mm-hmm. I, I think getting them on board, and I think some of them are mm. on board, they're interested in exploring this, but mm. they have... They have no friends to talk to. Mm. Then I think uh, gaming companies or similar companies with a lot of uh, sort of real-time 3D mm-hmm. experience, they probably have an upper edge there. Mm. So, uh, and um, yeah, it's been a bit challenging to monetize and to uh, to scale and establish 5G. And one of the reasons is, as you mentioned earlier use cases right to to ensure or to visualize the the usefulness of 5g wouldn't the metaverse be one of those use cases for 5g and then wouldn't wouldn't those two maybe together be able to feed off each other in the development of it yeah i think it depends on the time frame and mm. it's sort of that's that's why i go back to to sort of uh, it's are we talking about the metaverse now or mm. are we talking about the metaverse tomorrow and uh, because i think the, the metaverse requires if we were to do that uh, over 5g for example yeah. then it requires quite extensive edge infrastructure and yeah. uh, so it is and and that requires a high level of maturity because it's kind of difficult mm. to motivate building a huge edge infrastructure everywhere mm. if nobody is using it yeah uh, and kind of hoping uh, yeah I hope that someone will jump on it. So, uh, so i think it will be more stepwise i think Kind of commercial locations, mm. uh, like if you go to a shopping mall or or something yeah. like that, it's much easier to, to provide something there, and you could provide kind of metaversey experiences mm. for people who are shopping because the, I mean, physical shopping really needs to shape up their game yeah. uh, from an experience perspective to get people to bother going to a store. Yeah. Uh, rather than just uh, buying it online. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's more practical to buy it online. And, and if there's nothing in the, uh, sort of a, on the other side of mm-hmm. the scale to weigh that up. But then suddenly, yeah, so there you have already an ecosystem of different stakeholders that are developing the metaverse together, right? You have them all. You probably have the the brand that is in them all. You have probably the... Mm-hmm service provider, the network provider in the area, and then mm. surely some sort of uh, platform or game or yeah, experience developer that can support the the engagement or that can provide the yeah. engagement with people in there more. Yeah, no, I think it, it's. I think the metaverse will be built indirectly. Mm. It's like other use cases 
will lead to an infrastructure yeah. being in place mm-hmm. for other reasons than the metaverse. Mm. Uh, but once it's in place, then you can build a metaverse mm-hmm. on top. You will probably use 3D rendering mm. in, in in sort of edge locations anyway for mm. other purposes. Uh, and once they're there, then then other people can start accessing mm. them and, and things. But, but do you think it's if we go back to retail? Do you think it's only about physical locations, or is it also about improving the online experience and making it yeah something beyond of what is today um, yeah good point uh, I, I don't shop very much in general <laughs> uh, really uh, but I particularly don't shop very much online mm. uh, oh, really? because I, uh, yeah because I find it boring mm. I mean I find regular shopping boring but at least yeah. I go home with something yeah uh, But but sort but then of isn't online shopping efficient at least if it's boring? What, what do you find boring about it? <laughs> Everything. Uh, no, but it, I mean, there's no experience in it. You, mm. you kind of flip through long lists of mm. stuff, and it's like no, no, no. no. <laughs> Martina, Martina seems to be. Uh... I'm just twitching a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> We have a non-believer here. <laughs> uh, 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 And it's like, yeah, I found something, but uh, do these shoes fit me, or mm-hmm. will this vegetable look fresh when mm-hmm. I actually get it? Oh, uh, yeah. And and all kinds of stuff. I mean, if there's something, I know what it is, and I know that I need it, and it's not available locally, then I so I buy more from China or international sites because it's stuff that I simply cannot access if I don't buy it online. Mm-hmm. But stuff that I can access more freely. Often, I, I mean, I live in a city. Uh, yeah. Everything is right outside of your door or close to it. But I think a lot of people enjoy shopping more than I do. So I hope I'm not represented <laughs> <laughs> in that sense. I think uh, so. I I can see the convenience factor, mm. but uh, for me, I, I think it would be more. I would be more inclined to go if there if there was more of an experiential yeah. dimension mm. rather than product distribution. It's mm. like you go to a place and pick your product. Uh, I mean, that from a practical perspective, mm. I can see how that is uh, sort of can be achieved uh, at least as efficiently digitally. Mm. But uh, but I think it's more if you look at companies that want to build a brand, mm. I don't think an online store uh, generally is a perfect place to build a brand because mm. it, it's uh, either it's it's somebody else's retail store mm. uh, and there you kind of have your limited space or it's your own, but then it's harder to get people to go there. Mm. Uh, because it's like a one product store is is kind of dull. So, but I, I think there's a lot that could be done in that space. Mm. Maybe it's kind of a, one of those bridge things that that could yeah. open up. But I but it still requires that people have hardware. And um, yeah. I, mean, I talked to media people uh, some years ago, and I said, "Are you exploring new types of experiences?" And they said. No, sorry. People have a TV at home. Yep. That's what we're focusing on. And a uh, smartphone in their hands and yeah. how to break out um, of that. But it is true. I mean, like of course shopping is fun, <laughs> but it hasn't changed actually over the last, I don't know, X years. When no. you really look no. at online shopping, what's been added maybe some 
small interactivity of some digital yeah. elements, visuality has been enhanced I mean, to some extent. You can get recommendations yeah. and stuff like but, that. Uh, and then, exactly, and then what's happening also is that you get better recommendations based on your yeah. history, but just the experience of shopping online versus something you can experience in store. I think oh. stores have been experimenting a bit more not oh. all but a lot of brands are now sort of trying to experiment more but online shopping has always been sort of yeah similar and there's a lot to explore that not just in order to give your user a better experience but also to make the process of shopping more environmentally friendly more operationally efficient mm. for you I mean, now, especially during the the pandemic, right, there was a high increase in online shopping. And there's all, I mean, I am speaking on behalf of all of us that actually enjoyed shopping. <laughs> and a lot of the times I've been online shopping mm-hmm. and you have, you realize that like, yeah, it was, not, it was not the right fit or it was just, it didn't look good at all. And you go back to the shop and you see that there's like, Uh, five people in front of you that have done the exact same thing and everyone has a package to to return. And so obviously, if we had an experience where you could sit at home and you could, before buying something, you could try on the garment Mm. at home or Mm. shoes or whatever you want to buy, then we would we would get a better experience for the user because mm. then we wouldn't have to run back to the shop eventually and return stuff. And you would obviously, uh, you would um, decrease the losses from mm. sending packages back and forth for the for the company and just be a better human being for the environment because you wouldn't use up all those resources yeah. Yeah. needed. But I, but I think... To, to, for me, the problem with online shopping is that you you kind of only find what you were looking for. And the, the only part of shopping, like if you go grocery mm. shopping, I know that I, there are some there's some stuff that I need. But it's like passing by a shelf and it's like, hmm, I wonder what that yes, is. And then that's it's like, true. aha, yeah. I didn't know there was a Cuban <laughs> sauce in the store yeah, exactly. or whatever it might be. An element of surprise. Yeah. And, and 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 sort of the browsing or which cucumber is my cucumber <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, and and nothing of that works uh in online shopping it, it's like yeah uh, now i searched for something and now i found it what do i where do i go now where, what do i do now i think the browsing experience and uh, and sort of exploring to me it's a very dead experience it's like you scroll 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 cucumber scroll 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 search and it and it takes longer than it actually takes to go to the store so i don't see the appeal of today's digital shopping and it's more of a practical accessibility thing yeah there's no one in sweden who sells this then then i can go go somewhere else but i think there, if you could kind of move that into a different dimension, then then I would probably sort of, if I can kind of look around and see what I can find and and look at stuff and and uh, grab stuff or whatever it, and it doesn't necessarily have to be super advanced. It just has to be better than a flat website mm. where I 
with lots of pictures that I scrolled through. But actually, Martina, if you remember, we talked about in one of the episodes some time ago about like the security, about how your data is handled. Yeah. Would using blockchain allow us to sort of control how that data is used or should we charge for it? Yeah. I I remember us touching on sort of some of the aspects of it. My view is that the data is, it's the pollution of the digital age. Uh, you can't do anything without generating some sort of data. And, uh, and uh, sort of not most of that data is worthless. Uh, I think there, there has for a long time been an idea that data is valuable. It's mm. not. It's, it's, well, it depends on if, if you make use of it. Or if you exactly, but yeah. but then you need to extract a feature from yep. it. What does this data tell us, or what yeah. can we do with this data? But data in itself is just garbage. Uh, and and uh, I think if we had a more sophisticated metaverse, mm. it would generate like tons and tons of data. Uh, and it, uh, in one way, that can be creepy, but uh, in, in another way, it's like, who wants to store that stuff? Uh, <laughs> but it, it's like, look at your own life and, and uh, how many minutes a day would you find worth recording? <laughs> but I think security will be a critical issue. I mean, if you have a meeting room where you kind of suspect that someone can listen in, yeah. uh, well, that's not a good idea. Or... Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, uh, sort of all kinds of applications. It, it will be very creepy. And I think that's where you kind of need to give people some sort of control of their data. If that's blockchain, I don't think, I personally don't think that's the solution because it's not a super efficient thing to handle vast quantities of data. Okay. Uh, how, how come not? No, because sort of if you want to hash something into mm-hmm. uh, into a blockchain, mm-hmm. then you have a computational task. And uh, like if we're, it's kind of, if we're pouring like literally oceans of data into a network mm-hmm. and, and what infrastructure do we use to deal with mm-hmm. all of that data? Mm-hmm. And I mean, some of that data may be valuable. And there, I think it's more a question of giving people an option. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's much, much more important to kind of let people say, no, uh, you don't touch my data. I allow you to do this with my data, but it's it's much more of an opt-in system, Mm -hmm. like where you where you can extend the use of your data. I think the control perspective is much more important than the than what technology we use to control that yeah. because uh and um, and i think if it becomes like more of a distributed system where there are many different contributors many different metaverses then it's much less freaky but uh i honestly wouldn't like to see a corporately owned metaverse i i probably wouldn't use it in the long run uh, uh, I think that's quite interesting because um, in one way, yes, I agree. And I think the, the entire concept of a metaverse is supposedly uh, it's open, it's democratic and uh, it's built by the users, right? But historically, people tend to gather in a few spots where they can meet as many people as possible or... At least they uh, 
groups of people are usually drawn to the same bases. That's how we saw Facebook, you know, conquer the entire world. That's how we saw even, even we've been talking about a lot about retail. That's how shopping malls get a lot of their customers because people want to go to a place where a lot of people gathers instead of maybe small spots and small shops here and there. And we've seen, you know, when I think we've had this discussion as well, how internet it, in its infancy anyone was supposed to be able to build their own website and you were able to uh, provide any type of services you wanted to. And it was said that there's an infinite amount of customers or consumers Mm -hmm. for your website. But in the end, it's not really true because those groups of consumers are probably going to go to a few chosen Mm. platforms, websites, or in this case, probably metaverses that provide the best type of experience. And so the question is, won't it be large corporations that can build and provide those best those best quality experiences? And so in the end, are we going towards the same destiny? Because we talked about this also, I think when we had... Um, With Anders maybe. Yeah, actually one episode before, we talked about decentralized autonomous organizations mm-hmm. web3 mm-hmm. and i think we touched upon like a lot of communities are being built mm-hmm. in web3 right now yeah. so i think you're bringing up a question here also that is about i mean right now a lot of things are happening around specific communities mm-hmm. so will it be that those communities will naturally extend into their own metaverses this Oh, yeah. Potentially. Depends on who's in there mm. with the, I don't know. Like it's very with, cultural, with the right? Finances mm. and the resources mm. and the, the willingness to build it, I suppose. And I, I think if we, if we move into a metaverse, it's a socially complex reality. Mm. You don't do everything you do in, in one location. Yeah. Uh, you kind of uh, you go to a restaurant to eat. You go to a concert venue to watch a band, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you go somewhere to meet your friends. And uh, and and I think there there's much more room for diversity. And whether or not it gets super centralized to a few points, I mean there there are go- there are probably going to be big hubs there as well. Mm-hmm. But the question is, do those hubs own everything? Yeah. Uh, and I, and I think yeah. if you look at look at the internet itself, there I mean, the, there are companies that own the physical underlying structure of the internet, but they don't own us uh, yeah. uh, because they play a role as an infrastructure provider. They mm-hmm. don't li- really bother with what we send through their networks and things like that. But uh, and and I think. If you kind of stack that on top of each other, that nobody owns the complete layer and nobody controls the whole stack, then I think we can get a very diverse thing. There's still going to be like plenty of room for uh, Mark Zuckerberg to build his vision. Uh, and maybe it's very attractive, maybe it's not, but uh, but at least have it an open competitive space because... Uh, and I think when we uh, when we look at the the sort of infrastructure required for... For a metaverse, I think 
sort of an standardized and open infrastructure on all layers will be super important because that allows people to innovate. And I think one company will never out-innovate the world. Uh, And if you kind of make the tools available to as many people as possible, then then some metaverses will be super small, but they will be super valuable for the people who want that kind of mushroom-picking metaverse or, or whatever it might be, where they can meet their friends and hang out. Uh, and then you have the mega metaverses where you have really sort of high-grade, very costly experiences and things like that. I think that's fine. And, and I think that's the way the metaverse should be And I think it needs to be that way to be successful because there is something to be said. Like mobile phones are one of the most successful consumer products ever. More people in the world have a mobile phone than have a toothbrush. That's actually worth... Yeah. No. What? Uh, wow. I saw um, that estimate already uh, already like 10 years ago. So. Surely that must be because some people have two phones, but no one has two brushes. No, but not everyone has a toothbrush, though. But uh, and people will probably rather have a uh, mobile phone than a toothbrush if yeah. they're ch- forced to choose. No, but I think commu- communication is a very basic human need, and I think uh, so. Anything that allows us to communicate tends to spread much faster. But uh, but th- there is always going to be requirements around it. But uh, what I what I think is one of the epic successes of the mobile industry mm-hmm. is that everything is standardized. Yeah. Any phone can call any other phone. Who's uh, in charge of that? Three uh, GPP, no. Yeah. Yeah, someone has to be in charge for setting the standards or for like making sure that there is a standard, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think that there will be a similar organization then for the metaverse? I think there will be. Uh, there's a need for many organizations yeah. in that space. Sort of, how do we standardize graphics? Yeah. Well, it's probably best to leave to the graphics people. How do we standardize social interaction? Mm. Well, let's leave that to to another group and things like that. But uh, and they obviously need to work together somehow. Mm. But, but I think since it's kind of a little bit more tied to certain industries mm. and other parts are tied to other industries and things like that, I think there there's going to be a lot of collaboration between different standards organizations and stuff like that. But unfortunately, standardization tends to be a fairly slow process. Yeah. But I also think that I mean, for if, other if reasons... like On that scale, right? Yeah. And like, how are you going to get everyone on board to align on... Well, I mean, it is possible, and, and mm. computers use like gazillion tons of standards. The mm. World Wide Web is yeah. a standard, and it's an open standard. And I think if we look at the internet, why did the internet explode and become everything we see around yeah. us today? Mm. Was because it was a very accessible open standard. Uh, and people were allowed to innovate on top of it. Anyone could create whatever website. Mm. Uh, then, of course, I mean, some were more successful, some were less successful. But I think giving everyone the chance to build on it is the only way to sort of uh, actually get uh, serious innovation going. And if if customers or, or consumers are stuck between competing standards, do you want the, the Facebook metaverse or do you want the... Uh, the open one. <laughs> uh, no, or the other one or, mm-hmm. or the Amazon metaverse. And mm-hmm. Then I think we kill the idea. 
yeah. because I think the metaverse could actually become really cool. But then we also need to make it easy for consumers because uh, and you can jump back and forth. You are not restricted. The companies follow certain set of restrictions. It's much easier to place restrictions, i.e. standards, on a company and get something successful than to uh, to place a lot of restrictions on consumers. Yeah. It's like... Uh, because people just get stuck. They're looking mm. at 20 different headsets and wondering, what do I really want to do in the metaverse? Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll wait. Yeah. But do, do you think that uh, level of freedom is what is making blockchain projects so successful? Are they that successful, though? Like, uh, I'm not seeing super successful blockchain pro- uh, projects. I see a bit of boom and bust. Mm. Uh, like yeah of course if it's new uh and people are telling mm. you that you're gonna you're gonna make money playing a game i think there's increasingly more enterprise use cases for blockchain that is like outside of DeFi and that is outside of gaming as well and yeah, yeah. i mean uh, the first use case i heard uh, for blockchain like technologies uh was about was maybe 15 years ago and it was to protect bank data because the worst thing that can happen to a bank is that somebody goes in and changes 10 numbers randomly okay. uh, because mm-hmm. then you can trust no number oh bank. no yeah <laughs> uh, so, uh, i know i know in your other life as a crime genius you might want to do that martina <laughs> But uh, <laughs> but uh, so so there it makes a lot of sense to protect the database mm. and you know, you can roll it back you can mm. uh, you can uh, sort of trace all of the transactions and stuff like that there that's an excellent use case uh, for something like that and uh, there are uh, like millions of, of use cases like that mm. they're not the cool use cases no. uh, but I think they're. They're in many ways uh, probably more valuable than, yeah. than a lot of the cases that are, that are being sort of uh, pointed to. Oh, this will be big. And, mm. but, uh, I, there, there are technologies that are boring and useful, and maybe blockchain is one of those. Uh, I think it is. Make boring use cases great again. I think like that's that's what gonna. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's deeply underestimated mm. from a market perspective mm-hmm. because uh, I mean, if, if you find a problem that a lot of companies have, and I think security is becoming a huge issue around companies, startups and things in that space that target the boring markets, they they can kind of own that market, mm-hmm. and once they own exactly. that market. They can expand into adjacent industries quite easily and say, yeah. "Hey, we're we're the dominant player in in this boring mm-hmm. space uh, yeah. in in this industry. Maybe you guys should take a look at us." And uh, so that's so essentially I, what Klarna did with the finance yeah, industry, yeah, right? Yeah. That's what's happening now in uh, in the real estate industry mm-hmm. uh, with the real property management. I think. Like the digitalization we've seen in the last 10 years, it's been very focused on the consumer space and on smartphones Mm. Uh, and cloud, sort of shifting things into cloud. But a lot of stuff is shifted into the cloud. Mm. Everybody has a smartphone Mm. and uh, and everybody has their social media accounts. (coughs) So where is the growth in the next 10 years going to come from? 
and and I mean, why did Facebook start talking about the metaverse all of a yeah. sudden? Well, my feeling is that they know that there's not much growth left for Facebook. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's been more and more around the sort of uh, social media losing. Uh, and I, I think that's falling apart and, and beginning to fragment to some extent mm. because I see new social spaces mm. that, that are kind of emerging that are much more niche, but yeah. they're all also much more emotionally close to their users. Mm. I mean, there were... There have been networks like this around since mm. the social network thing started, but they they never really achieved success and people were new to social mm. networks and things like that. But uh, I think it's about 10 years ago I said, do we need Facebook? And, and I, I was honestly asking the question, will Facebook be as valuable mm. as we think it is today, 10 or 20 years down the line? Or will sending pictures, messages and stuff like that over the internet just be a generic service? Mm. Well, I mean, but that goes for any kind of business model, doesn't it? Or any kind of company. If you don't reinvent yourself, like if you don't stay on track Mm. with how users want to experience your service or how uh, the expectations of the users evolve Mm. well then you're going to become irrelevant and so i guess that facebook realized that they are falling into irrelevance looking at how or or at least non-growth exactly well with yeah especially since the target audience that they had in their early days Mm. were not the ones that were jumping on facebook now right like they had teenagers or they had young adults as their target Uh. i would assume and then now all of a sudden there's none of that coming into that pla- yeah, yeah. to the platform. So maybe this is, I guess Meta is their pretty big effort <laughs> to become relevant again and yeah. to reinvent themselves. Yeah, uh, or at least promise, the, uh, show the investors some sort of promise of growth in the future. Yeah, I mean, mm. yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> to me, from a, from a practical perspective, uh, it would be easier if my telecom provider provided a standardized service where I could video conference, text chat uh, with whomever and send pictures and all of that stuff. And if that was sort of, in, and where it would be a global standard, so you don't need to call somebody to figure out which system to use, that would be much easier. And, mm. and uh, so I'm wondering if we ever reach that point but, mm. uh, where, where it becomes a generic service. It, it, we started sharing pictures through Facebook, but will we continue sharing mm. f- uh, pictures through Facebook? Is Facebook important for our ability to share pictures mm. today? I'm, I'm not sure they no. are. Why do we even share pictures? Because we're vain, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> That's us. <laughs> yeah. yes. No, I don't know. No, but it's, I think, um, above all, I feel like social networks or any kind of networks are just influencing our behaviors and how to act or how we're acting. When I stopped watching TV, I think I became happier. 
because I was no longer bombarded by advertising. Yeah, mm. I've heard people say that about leaving Instagram. Nah, yeah, yeah, and uh, but the thing is that uh, now all of the all of that crap is moving over to <laughs> to uh, YouTube, uh, yeah. where you kind of sometimes you get like thirty seconds. Not if you have AdBlock installed on your computer. Yeah. Oh, you do. Yeah. Yes, I I um been having it on my private computer and mm. uh, recently I've also installed it on my working yeah. computer because I've been going to YouTube sometimes and it just keeps going with this ads and it, the first is like 30 seconds then after five minutes you get another two ads yeah so now I just installed the ad block and life is good again Yeah, I find it really ironic that a lot of the ads I see on YouTube are TV channels trying to get me to watch TV. Mm. Oh, <laughs> they know. It's not going to happen. Uh, there are no new linear TV watchers. Mm. Uh, so I guess ad money is moving over to other channels. Oh, yeah. With that being said, I know, well, okay, so this was now three years ago, but when I was working at that auditing Uh, agency if i remember correctly still the biggest ad spent was still on tv commercials rather mm-hmm. than digital media formats maybe also because digital media is i guess the the prices are being pushed quite far but but i know that tv spent is still or was at that time still a very big portion i don't imagine that it would have changed that much because you still have families with children that watch tv every you know friday evening and yeah but it's very hard to get people to sit down in front of a tv but also uh, what i think has changed is that we're consuming more of subscription services like netflix uh, where there's no ads hbo where there's no ads but and but there's been a discussion on that as well for Netflix to start getting ads or start using ads because yeah they mm. have realized that they don't they they don't get as many people to sign up because mm. so many people are sharing each other's passwords. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, that's been a problem, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see where the problem is coming from. <laughs> There's actually only one Netflix account in the world. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Plot twist. Yeah. Uh <laughs> Oh my god! But yeah, so so I think that they want to start testing to have some commercials in Mm. their shows, Mm. just so those people that are leeching off of other people's passwords could maybe get a free uh, or I guess maybe a freemium type of Mm. service. Mm. Um, And I think that would make sense. I don't mind seeing ads. I think. No, well, as long as it's not too many. But I think the problem with like linear t- TV is that you can't find a show that you're interested in because mm. it's not that, that time of the day. Mm. No, but I've become so impatient with ads. Uh, mm. Any ad that is longer than five seconds that is uh, not relevant. Mm. Uh, I I've become very quick at uh, sort of clicking the little eye and reporting it as irrelevant. Oh, uh, I, do the, the, I do the same. I do the same. 
No, but I mean, uh, at least they might learn some targeting yeah. after yeah. a while. But uh, I, I get so many car ads. Uh, I, I've I mean, never I, owned a car in my whole life. Uh, I didn't know I you could do that. With car ads. I don't know for YouTube, but I do it on... Um, do it on Instagram. Instagram, I yeah. always do. This is not relevant. Yeah. Train you your do. AI better. Yes. <laughs> Train it to not show me any yeah. ads. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, okay. So, how far are we from a metaverse <laughs> experience? <laughs> a dream, the like metaverse, like, yeah, or, yeah, like the the uh, the snow crash experience. <laughs> mm, yes, good yeah, question. Okay, mm, that's yeah. a decent benchmark. Yes, yeah. I guess it's far because it went very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but uh, yeah, no, I, I think um, who wants to say something? You, we want to hear. Uh, I want to hey. hear you. Yeah, uh, I'm guessing at least eight to ten years. I think uh, that's pretty close. You mean as in you think it's closer than eight to ten years or that eight to ten years is eight the to ten increase? years is mm-hmm. quite close, I would say. Eight. Just considering how fast the last ten years went. Uh, That's true. Just considering considering. how fast these last two weeks went, they just flew by. (laughs) Exactly. Um, No, but I I think the I think the coming uh, the coming ten years will be kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, and I kind of started off on that before. But we did we did the first consumer kind of digitalization Mm -hmm. uh, in the last ten years. with social media, smartphones, etc. I think the the coming ten years we will see a different type of digitalization. Mm. Uh, that I'm uh, where I think sort of immersive experiences will be a part of it, uh, either for sort of remote controlling things, but mm. also sort of entertainment is always good. Uh, but it, yeah, it's definitely at least eight to ten years before we're anywhere close. Mm. Uh, yeah, my my suspicion is that it's going to be more likely like fifteen years or something like that before we see anything. So when we get six G, that's when we're gonna get the metaverse as well. <laughs> uh, when you yeah, put it that way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, some call it the Internet of Senses, uh, wow. where we can kind of exchange sensory information across networks uh, well that would make sense isn't that what me- the metaverse is supposed to be about as well no I, I think the metaverse is easier for people <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we, we can, can do see internet of senses some other better yeah. traction <laughs> yeah I, I hear you <laughs> but uh, no I, yeah, I mean I've been waiting for brain computer interfaces since the 1980s so mm. I'm not exactly holding my breath <laughs> uh, <laughs> because that's when I when, uh, that's when I thought it was oh it's super cool and uh then I paid, uh, played futuristic games like Cyberpunk 2013, <laughs> uh, which played out in the future. And there, there were uh, brain-computer interfaces, and now people... Are, it's, it's one of those things. How? It's kind of like the flying car. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's always talked about, but it never happens. But uh, how far is uh, Elon Musk with his Neuralink? I have no idea. Uh, is that... I don't know. Because that has been around for some time now. I just want to, like, ha- has yeah. it at least been tested? Like, not on humans, but, like, animals. 
which we don't condone, but... Uh, <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> yes. In certain ways, you can, you can kind of... Uh, I mean, in certain ways, you can use your brain as an interface. It, mm. it more it, it depends on what you mean by it. But mm. uh, uh, so, I mean, you could put electrodes on your head, and then you can kind of learn to control a mouse pointer on, mm. on the screen. So, but it, it, again, it's more sort of uh, we adapting to technology than technology mm. being adapted to us. Mm. So, uh, but. Uh, uh, and I think they have done some experiments. I think the first use case will probably be helping people restore functionality. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's important in itself. But one day, uh, and that will probably take some time. Mm. I think they've done tests on that. And, and there mm. are actual sort of people who have been operated and, and where they can restore mm. a certain level of functionality. But going from that to into sort of more sophisticated stuff, I mean, we don't understand that much about no, how our brain no, works. No. Uh, but I think I think this particular like topic is so so interesting. We should do an, an episode, episode just on yes, this. Yeah, yes. I think so, this is like from okay. like a social, economical, uh, like. Um, yeah, especially social and economical perspective. I think this is super interesting. Yeah. So I think it will definitely. Okay, yeah. this is season two. Yes. Opening episode. Yeah. No, we I. We do that. Um, so Per, we can uh, can we book you next week? <laughs> <laughs> Considering your schedule, can we pa- pin down <laughs> a day? Well, yeah. yeah. This has been um, super interesting. Very, very interesting. As always, yeah. uh, I don't recall ever having a conversation with you that was anything but not interesting. Oh, I'm honestly a bit tired today. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this was great. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Pat. Thank, thank you, guys. And uh, it's it's really cool that you're kind of doing the podcast thing. And I think, I think. Uh, this is much better setup than uh, than uh, trying to get me and you one into. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was the original plan to get Pad and to get uh, another of our partner, you one. Oh, Who will eventually get... be our guest. He will eventually also so be as our guest. Yeah. He he will be. I'm not yeah. sure if he knows it yet, but he will no, find out. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. We have Maybe not... by listening yeah. to the podcast. <laughs> so Johan. Get ready. Yeah. <laughs> if you see a meeting in your calendar in the afternoon, well, this is watch it. Watch out. Hide. No, it's going to be great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Per. Yeah. Thank you, guys. And thank, thank you to you. everyone who has been listening. Tune back for more <laughs> next time. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you all for listening. Go to the links in description to follow us on social media. And if you like this episode, don't forget to share and subscribe so you never miss out on future episodes.